The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Protests erupt in Hong Kong after Beijing announces it will impose a new national security legislation on the territory at the beginning of the National People's Congress. The Hang Seng plunges nearly 5% on the renewed tensions, pulling the rest of Asia lower, as President Trump says the US will react quickly if China pushes ahead with the plans. The Chinese government also makes the rare decision to drop its growth target for this year as Premier Li Keqiang says the economy is facing great uncertainty due to the coronavirus pandemic. Remote will remain for Facebook. Founder Mark Zuckerberg says the company will permanently focus on employees working from home in a dramatic strategy shift for the social media giant. And more hope on the horizon for sports fans. The Premier League sides have begun training this week with the first round of fixtures hopefully tentatively cancelled in for the week of June 12. Protesters are gathering in Hong Kong after China tabled a sweeping new national security legislation for the territory, banning sedition, succession and subversion. According to multiple reports, Beijing will seek to bypass Hong Kong's Legislative Council and enact the regulations directly into law. Chinese Premier Li Keqiang outlined the plan in his opening address to the National People's Congress. We will fully and faithfully implement the policy of one country, two systems, under which the people of Hong Kong govern Hong Kong and the people of Macau govern Macau, with a high degree of autonomy for both regions. We'll establish sound legal systems and enforcement mechanisms for safeguarding national security in the two special administrative regions and see that the governments of the two regions fulfill their constitutional responsibilities. We'll support Hong Kong and Macau in growing their economies, improving living standards and better integrating their development into China. Emily Tan is covering Hong Kong for us today and Sam Vardis is covering China's National People's Congress. Emily, let's get to you first up. Uh, the protests had dissipated in the pandemic. We saw some of those tensions ease, but we seem to be right back where we started down the back of this new security law. Yeah, they were quick to respond. The protesters uh, came out uh, this afternoon at lunchtime uh, and we saw them. And uh, based on a banner, I'm assuming that this was organized by the Democratic Party here in Hong Kong. Uh, they're just outside the uh, liaison office as we speak. That's in uh, the western side of Hong Kong Island in Sayingpun on Connaught Road. Uh, so there you can see one of the protesters uh, speaking to the media uh, as uh, they protest against this new legislation on national security that the national people. Congress is going to be introducing. They're going to be prescribing secessionist and subversive activity along with foreign interference and terrorism. Uh, this is an item to review 
as a resolution for safeguarding national security in the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region. Uh, the national security resolution is number five on NPC's agenda and is expected to be voted at the end of the session, which wraps up on May the 28th. Uh, what we know today is that the parliamentary vice chairman, Wang Chen, scheduled to give a speech this afternoon uh, to talk about this. And he's saying that uh, the parliament has empowered itself to set up the legal framework and implement a mechanism to prevent and punish subversion, terrorism, separatism, and foreign interference, or any acts that severely endanger national security. So this new law will be introduced through promulgation, and there will be no need for it to go through the Legislative Council, which is the normal way in which laws are enacted in this town. Uh, so this has a lot of people upset, those protesters, alongside what we're seeing reaction in the markets today. Uh, just on the resumption of afternoon trade, we're down 1,170 points, 23,109 for the HSI. We are at the intraday low, down 4.8%. Eight shares also sinking on the day, down 4.2%. Just want to look a quick scan of some of the heavyweight stocks. AIA is the biggest laggard here. 10% uh, weighting on the HSI, down more than 6%. Tencent and uh, HSBC also with the same weighting, both down more than 4.5% as well. Uh, so there is concerns about uh, this uh, reigniting uh, some of the protests, and uh, that's exactly what we're seeing uh, play out uh, in Hong Kong. Now, we got a chance to speak to a former lawmaker from the pan-democratic camp. This is Emily Lau. Uh, she used to be the chairman of the Democratic Party, of which uh, is, I believe, the uh, people that are holding the uh, protests that we're looking at right now. And I asked her about uh, what she makes of all this, and she was talking about her response uh, from the United States and from Britain and what she's seeing. This is what she had to say. Talking about Britain, the, the comment by the foreign secretary and the British government yesterday was pathetic. They just say, oh, they will monitor. They will take a look at what's happening. Hong Kong is burning. How can Britain just say, oh, we will just see what's happening? Even the Americans, they have a stronger response. So we call on Britain and we call on the international community to speak out for tiny little Hong Kong. The Hong Kong that many of you have visited you've lived in and you love Hong Kong, we are in trouble now. We need your help. This new legislation is expected to better safeguard Hong Kong's development. And just to put some context into this, Karen, as well, uh, Hong Kong tried to introduce the National Security Bill, Article 23, back in 2003, only for it to be met by uh, half a million people taking to the streets. Uh, and then, of course, we had the resignation of the Secretary for Security at the time, Regina Ip. Uh, so this is not something that is new to Hong Kong. Uh, the mainland of Beijing has been trying to legislate national security in Hong Kong uh, ever since uh, the handover took place back in 1997. Uh, it is enshrined in our basic law for us to, to do that. Uh, but we haven't been able to because of the uh, Legislative Council as well as uh, the uh, the uh, negativity or I guess the pushback from the Hong Kong community. Uh, so this is the latest in development uh, with that and it looks like Beijing is taking it into its own hands and having the NPCSC do just that. Karen, it's back to you. Emily, thank you very much. The international response will be quite key at this point, but uh, many countries still fighting COVID-19. The U.S. president, though, weighing in, as you've heard, President Trump has warned China against introducing a security law in Hong Kong. Trump told reporters that Washington would react, quote, very strongly if Beijing pushes ahead with the bill, but did not elaborate. 
China has dropped its annual GDP target for the first time in its history, citing the economic fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. The economy contracted 6.8% in the first quarter as the government shut down large parts of the country in a bid to curb the outbreak. Chinese Premier Le Keqing outlined why the government had decided to abandon the guidance as the NPC got underway. We've not set a specific target for economic growth this year. This is because our country will face some factors that are difficult to predict in its development due to the great uncertainty regarding the COVID-19 pandemic and the world economic and trade environment. Not setting a specific target for economic growth will enable all of us to ensure stability on the six fronts and security in six areas. Let's get out to Sam Vardis for more. Sam, there's a long list of topics that investors were looking at, the GDP numbers, any further stimulus around COVID-19 measures, and of course Taiwan. But the Hong Kong issue is sort of right to the top of the agenda for a lot of international investors. Absolutely, Karen. Good morning to you. And I think these protests brewing in Hong Kong as we speak will be concerning for Beijing because it certainly wouldn't want that to overshadow what is the most important date on the Chinese calendar. Um, and it's, you know, the, 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 the work report that we heard from Premier Li Keqiang this morning, uh, of course, uh, not setting that GDP target uh, for 2020 uh, is very rare, but of course comes uh, as really no surprise. We weren't really expecting to see any major announcement on that, given uh, the contraction in the first quarter and the economic slowdown as a result uh, of the pandemic. You know, China faces a lot of uncertainty right now moving into the second half of the year. If uh, the virus comes back, then that poses a huge risk. But of course, China is waiting to see if global demand for its own goods will pick up. Because of course, there's a lot of talk within the international community right now about steering away from that heavy reliance on China and its supply chains. Now, Premier Li Keqiang did acknowledge that the coronavirus has taken a huge hit to the economy, but he did really declare uh, victory in all of this, saying China had made massive achievements in tackling the virus but he said we're not really out of the woods yet and so there was a big focus on jobs and social stability China is wanting to create some 9 million uh, urban jobs this year and that's significant given that the pandemic has put in put millions out of jobs but of course with jobs you need uh, employers and there was a huge amount of emphasis on what China will do for its SMEs and uh, local government in order to safeguard employment because we know that that is uh, key to political stability in China and it is looking at further tax cuts for businesses to the tune of 500 billion yuan. Um, and of course, we know that there is an enormous migrant population that hasn't uh, been able to come back to work as a result of this uh, coronavirus outbreak uh, after the Chinese New Year and probably won't come back because there's been a lot of uh, factory closures as a result of the slowdown in demand. Now, on trade, it was very interesting. Pre Pre Premier Li Keqiang uh, mentioned that uh, he was willing to work with the US uh, on this phase one trade deal. And that comes after the White House economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, said uh, that it was very much still intact and that there would be no renegotiation. Uh, so very interesting in terms of China's commitment to its end of the bargain there. Back to you.
Um, thank you very much for running us through the latest out of China. I want to take you to U.S. Uh, futures this morning as we get set up for the Friday session. And this is how we perched at the end of what has been a strong week for markets. We've had a rally roughly about uh, 2 to 3% on some of the major markets. But this morning we are looking weak. And you can see uh, peeling off more than 200 points on Dow Jones futures at this stage. U.S. markets yesterday, uh, here's the snapshot. And you can see, for instance, uh, the likes of the Dow. We were down uh, just modestly 410 south. But over the course of the week, we have rallied 3.3%. And these are having the most negative impact on the fortunes of the Dow. We're now about 17% off the all-time highs, if you're wondering where this takes us. In terms of the other markets, are more coming off the boards for the NASDAQ, as you can see. Uh, Tech-heavy stocks under a little bit of pressure. And it was Amazon, uh, a stock that has been hard uh, bid up by a lot of investors on this COVID-19 trade. It uh, was actually the negative uh, stock for the NASDAQ and also for the S&P 500 yesterday. So we did see a bit of a decline. But also, don't forget, we had that uh, rough report to get through on the job front as we saw another surge in unemployment uh, claims, 2.438 million tallied up for the week ending May 16. The Asian markets, as we contend with the heightened tensions now around this new security law for Hong Kong that the Chinese are talking about. And you can see it has damaged the fortunes of that Hong Kong market down more than 5%. But the rest of the region also rocked. Japan sliding 1%, more than 1.3 off Chinese stocks and Australia reversing heightened tensions too with Australia with the talk about more procedures, more surveillance of iron ore products coming into China, which of course is a fairly massive output for the, Chinese, for the Australian economy, sending those products into China. Steve, let me toss it over to you. A lot on the agenda this Friday. Indeed there is. There's a lot coming out from the government, a lot of testing news. But of course, you'll notice I'm behind a certain blue and white football club uh, that are currently lying fourth in the Premiership. So coming up on this show, the Premier League is uh, hopefully targeting maybe a middle of June, June 12th start uh, to Premier League games as well. But uh, there are concerns after a few positive tests at the start of training this week. We'll discuss the hopes for sports fans to see the world's biggest soccer league resume football. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. U.S. President Donald Trump says he won't close down the U.S. economy again, even if the country is hit with a second wave of coronavirus infections. Trump's remarks come as all 50 U.S. states have begun to ease restrictions, even as cases continue to rise in parts of the country. Speaking during a visit to a Ford plant in Michigan, Trump said the lockdown had taken a toll on people's health and lifting restrictions would lead to a big economic rebound. A permanent lockdown is not a strategy for a healthy state or a healthy country. Our country wasn't meant to be shut down. We did the right thing, but now it's time to open it up. A never-ending lockdown would invite a public health calamity. To protect the health of our people, we must have a functioning economy.
And as I said, and I'll say it a hundred times, we're going to have an incredible year next year, right at the beginning. Even our fourth quarter is going to be very good. There's a tremendous pent-up demand, and that includes for your cars. Americans who need and want to return to work should not be vilified. They should be supported. Atlanta Federal Reserve President Rafael Bostic has told CNBC he has mixed feelings about the U.S. economy reopening. In an exclusive interview with our U.S. colleagues, Bostic also warned that the recovery is going to take some time. I've been having lots of conversations with families across the district, and some places and some people are feeling like they're very prepared to jump back into the economy and get back to where they were pre-crisis. But there are a lot of businesses where they're not seeing the same kind of foot traffic that they were before. And I've talked to a lot of families, many of them staff at the Federal Reserve, who still have large concerns about whether it's safe to go out. 2.4 million Americans filed for unemployment benefits last week as the coronavirus continues to impact the U.S. jobs market. The figures were in line with estimates. The prior week's figure was revised lower to 2.6 million from the 2.9 initially reported. In total, now more than 38 million people have claimed benefits since the crisis forced the country into lockdown. U.S. presidential hopeful Joe Biden will be speaking to our U.S. colleagues about the latest jobless claims numbers and the economy. That interview is set to begin at 1400 CET. The Italian government has raised a record 22.3 billion euros in inflation-linked five-year bonds. The so-called BTP Italia issue was targeted at retail investors, which took up the bulk, while institutional investors bought only 8.3 billion euros of the bond. Proceeds from the sale will be used to offset the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. But foreign investors have shown cooling enthusiasm towards Italy, cutting their holdings of Italian government bonds by over 50 billion euros in the month of March. That is the biggest monthly outflow since 2002. Japanese core inflation has turned negative for the first time in more than three years on the back of lockdown measures and a slump in oil prices. Japan's consumer price index fell by 0.2% last month after the coronavirus threw the economy into recession in the first quarter. Analysts expect some uptick in demand as the number of cases fall, but warm deflationary pressures are likely to remain over the coming months. The Bank of Japan will launch a new lending facility for small businesses hit by the fallout from coronavirus as part of a borrowing scheme closely mirroring that of the U.S. Federal Reserve. The newly announced measures come after BOJ officials held an emergency meeting earlier today. The BOJ also announced it will extend the deadline for its other pandemic stimulus measures. That includes purchasing corporate debt until March of next year and keeping its key rate target steady at negative 0.1%. John Val joins us, Chief Global Strategist at Nico Asset Management. John, let's get into the latest from the BOJ. Not a lot of sizzle on this package, the lending to small businesses. But I want to get into how it is slightly different from the Fed's initiatives. In mind that Jay Powell is also saying it's very hard to get money to Main Street, much harder than it is to get money into some of those banks on Wall Street. So just talk us through the measures from the, the central bank in Japan. Well, this is a step forward, uh, similar to uh, a Main Street uh, uh, financing operation, but it's more like the ECB's uh, LTRO operation, whereby it subsidizes banks to lend to uh, SMEs. Clearly, SMEs in Japan need this uh, 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 
debt. They, they need to borrow money to, to keep alive, and it's helpful in that regard. If you add up all the packages that the Bank of Japan has launched uh, since the virus, it adds to 75 trillion yen, or about $700 billion, which is uh, about 15% of GDP. So it's a it's a strong step. It's not a major surprise. Uh, we knew that this was being set up, uh, and there are further proposals coming out for something that's more directly like the Main Street uh, refinancing operation that the Fed is, is doing. John, I was fascinated by one of your comments on uh, the ETF buying and the, the target that it may seek to try and defend on the Japanese stock market. Uh, you pointed at 19 to 20,000 points when currently we trade just above that 20,000 point mark. Give us a sense of what is going on the backdrop on buying ETFs. Well, the Bank of Japan uh, raised the amount that it uh, can buy every year, and it's sort of a, a soft target. They can exceed it if they want to. They've basically said that they'll buy as much as they need to uh, in order to make sure that stock prices uh, do not uh, fall out of bed. Um, and it seems quite uh, clear that they are intent upon preventing it from falling uh, too far below, say, 19,000 uh, on the uh, Nikkei. Uh, they've been accelerating the amount of, of ETFs that they buy. and. Last Friday, even uh, they bought, even though the uh, uh, Nikkei did not uh, drop very far. So it's uh, normally they only buy when the Nikkei drops quite a bit, but it does indicate that they are uh, more serious about uh, showing themselves to be a uh, major supporter of the market and to be a continuous buyers, not just on significant weakness. John, I wanted to come in on the ETF story as well. I find it absolutely ludicrous that the ETF market now is utterly dominated by the BOJ, a policy which has kept inflated stock prices higher than they should have been had the market been allowed to find a mechanism as well. Now the BOJ is sitting on enormous losses from its ETF portfolio. Has there ever been a larger waste of money than keeping a stock market overinflated by buying a vast majority of the ETF market out there? Well, I don't believe they are uh, losing uh, uh, on their net purchases. Uh, I agree that it's uh, suboptimal. Nobody uh, probably wanted to do this. Uh, however, um, what's done is done. And they are, it's also hard to estimate what stock prices would be without the BOJ. I mean, it's not a very expensive stock market. In fact, it's quite inexpensive. And you would have thought if it uh, had fallen much without the BOJ, that investors would have stepped in and purchased it up to its fair price, which is basically where it is now. So it is important for uh, the Bank of Japan to uh, be involved in any sort of financial asset that has a signaling mechanism. That's how this whole thing started. It started off as very small purchases for symbolic purposes to keep uh, uh, investors and keep confidence high because people watch the Nikkei. If the Nikkei is falling a lot, that hurts sentiment here. So it's more of a confidence uh, 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 indicator um, than, than anything else. 
So just get me right here, John, and I don't believe the counterfactual for one minute. It's a confidence indicator when you manipulate a market by buying over 80% of the available equity ETFs out there, and you're telling me that's created a fair value in the underlying market. Why couldn't the market find a fair value, given the fact that there are trillions of dollars, trillions of yen out there, desperate to find a home at a decent valuation as well? And my other point is, if the BOJ had spent this money on actually creating economic activity, don't you think that would have been better spent? Uh, like I said before, it really is hard to know what the market would be right now if the Bank of Japan had not invested. It seems to be, according to P.E. ratios and price-to-book values, it's, it's a lower value than most uh, markets out there. And its earnings growth has been very strong over the years. Obviously, it's been hurt um, by various downturns, including this major one that we're in now. But, uh, yeah, the Bank of Japan um, does want to uh, prevent, did want to prevent maybe at least uh, major downturns in the Nikkei. And uh, I guess they've done that to a large degree with, with success. But it is, uh, it, it is an issue that they own uh, so much of the ETF market uh, um, and something that people uh, think about. But it doesn't make the stock market necessarily overvalued in, in my mind, just because the Bank of Japan owns a significant portion of it. And clearly, central banks all over the world are uh, targeting, if not uh, fixing, prices uh, right. in many, many different uh, private markets, be it uh, corporate bonds now by the Fed or uh, by the ECB or the or or other such uh, private right. securities. John, just quickly, I've got to ask you about the yield curve control policy. It was never exactly a catchy title and investors never responded that much to it. But now other central banks are talking about it, namely the Fed. We heard from Richard Clarity yesterday suggesting it could be a natural complement to other tools that the Federal Reserve uses. Why is targeting uh, the level of bond yields so attractive at this point for the Fed? Well, uh, it's simple in many ways. I mean, if you think you have the power to fix rates, then uh, many central banks will do so. Japan was a little bit unique in this regard because it owned 90, you know, Japanese investors owned 95% of uh, the sovereign bonds, whereas the U.S. Uh, uh, bond market and European bond markets are owned quite broadly all over the world. So it might be harder for them to uh, fix the uh, yield curve like the Bank of Japan did. But, you know, once they've reached a very large amount of bonds that a central bank buys and doesn't really want to buy a lot more, then it is quite uh, much easier, I would say, for them to just fix it rather than intervene all the time and uh, dare the market to, uh, uh, to try to break that, uh, that fixing price. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.